Andre, a very warm welcome. Unfortunately, I did not find any background that um, would represent you better than this, what we can see here, which is such a global, let's say, environment. And um, as I don't exactly know where you are right now, I would just simply love to introduce you briefly. Um, Andre Blom, the first that I would actually like to express is um, a very, very good friend of mine and one of the um, co-founders, um, CEO um, in the board of TMA, mastermind behind actually the system of TMA. So, Andre, um, great to have you here today. Thank you for your time also um, at the weekend because uh, Andre is a big family guy with a lot of little kids and stuff and big ones as well and so weekend is something special nevertheless thank you very much for being here with us today and um i would say um the stage is yours andre i put you in the focus the stage is yours <laughs> thank you andreas um yeah i think i also want to stipulate uh, on our friendship um and I am a global citizen. I'm working uh, remotely. And at this point, I live in Portugal and I'm sitting outside on my little cafe, enjoying the sun, a cup of tea, and um, enjoying myself and uh, with this uh, participation on this, on this webinar, on this training. Uh, Andreas asked me to, uh, to share my thoughts and, and uh, why we are doing the things that we are doing. And uh, I have the, I am very lucky with our board members. Um, we are always thinking ahead. We are always thinking about what the world needs. And we are always focused on how can we innovate? How can we create? Maybe even uh, participate or share, make a little share on the social innovation that we think the world needs. And having said that, and maybe you have the same um and let's see if we can calibrate our thoughts a little bit um, around this topic uh, i do have a lot of thoughts about all the riddles in the world uh, all the dilemmas that we are facing um in terms of you know what kind of future are we going are we going for and what is the legacy that we are offering to our children and our grandchildren and what kind of policies are we embracing not only on the geopolitical level, but also in our company uh, to deal with the, with the shifts, the rapid shifts in technology and cultures, particularly the speed of things, the dilemmas that we are experiencing, how are we dealing with that? And like Andreas said, uh, showing the picture of a global world, um, that is how I feel I'm privileged. I'm privileged to go around in the world and meet um, many, many very talented, passionate, passionate professionals, um, inspiring leaders, but also a lot of busy managers working extremely hard, uh, always constrained on their timetables. Um, and of course, I also meet people, greedy shareholders, um, not working for the purpose, but the sole interest of getting more and more money. Um, and I'm also happy to share with you that 
in many, many cases, this is only a very small amount of people who have that kind of negative, leverage negative thing. A lot of people are working with their hearts, trying to deal with their, the world they are living in. And in all my meetings that I have with, um, with the companies, I get more or less the same kind of questions all the time. How can we find, how can we connect, how can we bond our workforce and organize it in a way that we can really go for our purpose and, and meet our expectations and meet our goals. And what I also see in addition, there are recognizable patterns. If they want to change something, they go most of the times for changing the protocols, changing the systems, changing procedures, changing um, the way they are organizing themselves. And a lot of times it's, it's going really on a dead end street. Um, there's also another element to it, the urgency and the need to change so rapidly. Um, and that is apparently something what I call, um, what I call apparently, uh, companies have lost the capacity to have a ecological evolution. They go from change to change, um, and they are not capable of being adaptable and dealing with what Andreas is calling the VUCA world. Um, because we want to fix everything, because we are working according to a kind of internalized uh, mechanical approach, not only in the way of business, but around the world. We are trying to defragmentate uh, the problems, dive in with expertise and try to solve the little, little elements. And I believe that in my opinion, um, we should go for a different approach. The questions could be like, um, well, for example, if you think where we are coming from, from the industrial revolution and where the big thinkers like, um, the muscle of the Kovi, the Ulrich, uh, but also Taylor Mintzberg or Henry Ford, who was a genius bringing the auto, uh, from a uh, mechanical process in 12 minutes from, from nothing to becoming an, uh, to, um, manufacturing a, a car. Great thinkers at that time, but the question is, are these thoughts, is this work still valid for the way we have to deal in our VUCA world? Um, if you look at the industrial revolution and the way we are going forward, it's like we have the head uh, of the organization and we have the body of the organization and the bodies are just muscles. Now, Henry Ford made a, a very remarkable uh, uh, quote. Um, and he said, like, I need muscles, but unfortunately I get the brains with it. Now, having said that, isn't it then time that we should in this era, in this VUCA era, that we should consider a different approach? Shouldn't we have a moral obligation to ourselves to bring humanity back into, into our organizations? And shouldn't we look at organizations as organisms? in cells, in capacity that works together, that develops together, that laughs together, that cries together. Um, this is what I call the ecology. 
as an organization, I see different ecologies coming together in a natural way. And this is where we need to be uh, adaptive, where we need to be flexible, where we have to be creative and communicate and collaborate to, um, to understand our world. Uh, and we have to have a clear vision in it. We have to bring uh, our interpersonal and interpersonal, our moral, our existential, our mathematical, our linguistic intelligence together and let's cooperate. Because bottom line, according to my belief, and I think to many others, if we connect ourselves together, we accomplish more. This world is not depending on being in, independent anymore. You cannot perform in this world all by yourself. We have to embrace this interdependency where we collaborate, where we accept that we are a, a, uh, a community doing things together, driven by a, a certain kind of uh, purpose. And then if you look at the governmental organization, you can ask the governance of an organization, you can ask yourself, what are they doing? Shouldn't they not maintain and promote an immune system for their people, like a cocktail of security and uh, development guarantees? Because working guarantees cannot be provided anymore. You cannot get a lifelong contract anymore. But the essential need to develop people, I think that is that is the part of how we can survive and thrive our uh, our business in this forward. Um, that immune system that should give people a meaning, they should feel give people a feeling of you know I belong here, I am worth. Uh, there is my well-being. Uh, we are a group of diversity. And I think that that is the, the main character of a, of a good governance. Uh, and maybe this is too beautiful, sounds too beautiful or too topic. I don't know, but I have the conviction. And luckily with me, not only my partners in TMA uh, in Holland, the founding partners, but also my partners around the world, we would like to embrace interdependency and bring that to the world and make sure that people can be the best of themselves. Um, I, I don't think, uh, if you're interested, you know, there are so many surveys from from the big five, from the McKinsey's and the Boston Consultancy, when they're doing employee surveys, where people are stating, I'm doing what I have to do, but I'm not doing what I'm capable of doing. And if you take a deeper level, why is that the case? Then people say, because the system doesn't allow it. The protocol doesn't allow it. The management doesn't allow it. So when we talk about innovation and being adaptive and going forward, I think we have to unlock, unleash the potential of people um, and go for an evolutionary growth where we are flexible and adaptable to it. And in that, in that sense, this is where the TMA, TMA method probably stands for. We're trying to help people to be completely themselves. We're not saying you're good as you are, because that means you don't have to do anything anymore. No, that's not the case. Because we believe in the world we are living now, that things are moving so rapidly, changing so much, so much, so many uh, elements in our life, factors in our life are disrupted. 
and coming to a new level. That means that as an individual, you have to stay at least aligned. Um, you have to calibrate um, with the new technologies and et cetera, et cetera, in order to have a position that is worthy where you can include yourself. And that is what TMA stands for. We're trying to help people to be themselves in a whole integrated way. Uh, and with all the tools and, 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 uh, and content that we are delivering, um, we are trying to support that. But the most important thing that we believe is what is the mindset? What is the mindset of a, of a community? Are we working with each other? Are we doing things for each other? Do we have a purpose? If that mindset is there, and we have the mindset that we believe that every human being is talented, the question is just for what? How can an individual be valuable in that ecosystem? And I think we have the moral obligation as an organization to make sure that people can find their way. Some will do it by themselves. Some need some support and some need more support. It's just a normal bell. You have the early adapters, you have the early followers, you have the late followers. And of course, on the, on the outside, you have the legacy and innovative people. But if we look at the main body, we need to create a movement where people can get the best out of themselves. And that is all in collaborations. So RTMA methodology stands for who am I? And this is personal leadership. How do I tick? Under what conditions can I work best? Um, how do I want to be approached? If you have that awareness um, and are able to communicate that uh, in your own context, then you're getting somewhere. And then when it comes from personal leadership, it comes to leadership where you transcend over to a next level where you say, no, now I know how I tick and now I know how I can work with other people. Because understanding how I tick gives me a perspective that I have at least an opening or willingness to understand how other people tick. And I think that is the basic of leadership. Treat people like they are, they want to be treated. Treat people to get them to their full potential. And that is not according to how you want to be treated. So these are the elements that CMA stands for having this mindset, having then a good approach, a good working uh, uh, approach, and then um, choosing the right tool set. Because the tool sets in TMA, um, I'm not saying that they are uh, unlimited, but at least they are built up in an integral, uh, integrated um, mode so that you can really connect business objectives with the workforce. And this is where TMA stands for. Um, is it an easy way of going forward? Um, if you think about change management, uh, of course, there's always a phase of letting go um, or partly letting go what's, what you already have and going into a neutral zone where you try to experiment and figure it out, not really knowing where the new way will be, what it will be. But at least it's like navigating towards. Maybe you have to make a detour. But if you're not allowing people 
to we are not inspiring people um, to let go of their own mind gods, um, to let go of their uh, restricted paradigms. And we all have restricted paradigms. We need to challenge our paradigms in order to go for an evolution. <laughs> and as becoming a TMA expert, um, trained by, um, by Andreas, who has a huge amount of experience uh, when it comes to leadership programs, when it comes to coaching and knowing what's going on with people. Um, I hope that this training from, from uh, Andy and uh, Abdel and his team will help you to uh, to lower your own mind and to look in a, in a world that is prosperous, where we work for our legacy, where we can really contribute that people are unleashing their talents and their full potential. Um, this is where we take for, this is what we're trying to accomplish, uh, to give people uh, the power, the autonomy, the authenticity to really embrace interdependency. Until so far, uh, this waterfall of, uh, of my, of my belief, my heart, um, do you have any, any questions? Is this something that resonates with your own thoughts? I would have one, Andre. Um, Andre, what would you say would be the biggest recommendation out of your perspective for someone who is, let's say, who started to change this environment and who started to help other um, people just um, to have a look at this, to create interdependency, collaboration, cooperation. So what would be your biggest tip? What should people do who want to go into that? That's a good question. I, you know, if I look at where do I get my inspiration from? Where do I get the courage to go forward? Um, I do a lot of reading. Um, and, you know, if I look at uh, the the book of Ritzken Brechtman, Humanity, uh, where he really believes in the good of people. When I think of Nora Beetson, uh, when she, uh, where she is stating that it's all about the relationship we have with our nature, that everything is an integrated whole. I mean, I am triggered by literature and those kind of uh, key players in markets. Um, when it comes to a personal level, I am extremely inspired by my children. If I look at my own family, how do I have my, how do I run my family? And am I really running my family or am I doing that in collaboration with my spouse? And how do I engage my children? And children are so eager to learn. Uh, they are so willing of collaboration. Uh, to give you just a very practical example, um, one of my girls uh, is good in making a meal. When I ask her, can you make a meal? And I collaborate with her. We have fun in the kitchen. She's learning. She's making a, a terrifically nice, nice meal. I had to learn that I had to say like, oh, hold on, the onions should be chopped in this way or the pepper in this way. I have to let her go and doing it together. 
Now, the funny thing is when I heard that a couple of days later, you have to cook because I cannot do it. And she doesn't want to. She doesn't have time for it or she has other plans. She will do it, but the meal become, doesn't become that, that nice. It's just a, a delivery. There's no passion behind it. And what I learned from my kids, uh, the openness, the willingness to learn, the willingness to explore, that is what I try to translate into my, in, the, in my working life. That gives me the opening not to inspire people because um, I want them to be inspired, but I'm trying to connect with people and see where is your inspiration coming from? Uh, what can you contribute? In my, in my field of leadership, it's the same as what I do to my kids. If I cannot improve at least 20% of what you're doing, then I will, I will keep shut. I will let you go and we will review it together. So I think if you think about your role as a parent, I think that could be a huge inspiration in trying to do that with your, um, with your working environment. Even if you're a professional, go have active listening, have uh, non-judgment, uh, a non-judgment approach, a no-blame approach, uh, non-violent communication with Robertson, and also an extremely nice way of how to open up to people. So I think my biggest tip in going forward and accomplishing collaboration, tap into yourself and see yourself as a participant. Cool. Thank you for that, Andre. Um, still a couple of questions in the chat. So that's a good idea because it's easier to um, to bring that in a written form. Matthias just asked, um, I love the idea of bringing humanity into the business world. Um, how do you create an awareness for this in the business world? So the awareness for humanity in the business world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as we speak, I am uh, active with the um, um, the Ministry of Defense in Holland. Um, and this is about the Navy, this is about the Air Force and the ground forces, around 60,000 people. And I've been in the, in the Army myself for 18 years. And on an operational level, um, working with my, uh, with my own team, with my own what we call buttons, is very human human-based. Um, I take responsibility for your security and you take responsibility for mine. We do things together. Now on an organizational level, on a governmental uh, governance level, you can see there's a very strict hierarchy. And of course it is defendable. You can say like, if the army says we have to go right, then everybody has to go right. You cannot have soldiers going left. That doesn't make sense. But in the way they have organized um, the whole structure, it's actually similar to what the Vatican has. We have a Pope, we have the Cardinals, we have the Archbishop, we have the Bishops, and everything comes, is cascaded down in decision, but nothing goes up. Or when it comes up, it is fragmented and going down. So what do I do to create that mindset? Is to let people experience themselves what personal leadership actually means. So the leaders are going through our assessments and then they say like, you know, these are your talents. Why don't you share your talents with a peer in a safe environment, the people you're working with, 
to see like how can you collaborate and if you do that you know it's not about you know am i better than you um and if you look at the work of Kofi, unfortunately a lot of people are reading this what are the seven habits of high performance people or successful people it becomes a toxic competition in an organization no and that is not the case it should be about collaboration and when you share your talents your drives with each other and you start to communicate how can we get the best out of each other because Andreas, you and I know if we are putting our brains together and we're doing something, we always come up with something good, right? And when it's not good, we evaluate and we bring it together, but we do that on the eye-to-eye level. And I think that is the way how to create a mindset, tapping in on your personal leadership and connecting your personal leadership with the personal leadership of others. Great, great. Thanks for that. And what, what I heard out of these words, Andre, is also the topic of vulnerability. So that if you make yourself vulnerable as a leader, it's something completely different. So making it very easy, put your talents on the table and communicate these talents. And this form of vulnerability creates another form of trust. So that's actually something yeah. you mentioned as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is, and trust can only be organized in an environment of what we call psychological safety. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, uh, if I may refer to Amy Edmondson, uh, has been writing about uh, uh, and doing a lot of research about psychological safety. That is also so important. Mm -hmm. uh, and it really helps you if you have these kind of mindset, your own family also need this psychological safety. Your children need that. Where it's not only about, you know, uh, when I fall, is there somebody to help me to stand up again? Uh, it is also about, you know, having the guts and having the environment where you can share your thoughts and ideas. Um, but it's also helping the people who are not this extrovert or outstanding or outgoing to ask them, what are your thoughts and ideas? Um, so I think this whole scenery of, you know, how do we work in an organization, uh, if you can reflect it in the way you want to have it, like your family is, is working. And there are also, there are always tensions and there will only be, always be disagreements, but disagreements cannot meet, cannot explode into violence or into threats or into dominance or into, I am right and you're wrong. It is about connecting and having an understanding with each other. So um, Susanne asks, mm, which mm, possibility can mm -hmm. you see to work with a team that works with TMA to another team outside themselves? So actually, is that about the collaboration, right? So how bringing teams together, if I understood that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what we do is, as we use, we, what I call, we use the warm data. And, you know, if you look at the configuration of a team, uh, of course, it starts with, you know, why do we have these teams together? What are, what is the, the purpose, the goal? And what are we going to do together? Then it's about, you know, what are the elements, the human elements that we need and how can everybody feel that he's contributing based on his potential, but also based on the cultural side of it. And that is also an important thing. If you look at 
your personal drives, your talents, and you bring those talents together, a normal, it's a normal process that these configuration of talents and drives are the framework of the microculture in the team. So to give you an example, if the whole team is having a preference to work on a high level, then that kind of cultural aspect will be very dominant in that team. But if there is a blend where not everybody is working on eye level, then there is a toxic environment. So how do we make sure that people have that understanding in a team by using the warm data? And not only using the data, but also uh, including the context in where people are working. Um, and doing that with the people together. So one of my question marks to um, companies is if I use the metaphor of sports, um, all players in the sports team know exactly what they have to do. They have the skills, the methodical skills, the questions, why would they train? And if you look at what the training goes about, it is about improving their let's say personal skills, but it's also improving teamwork. And what do we do in the business life? We go maybe once a year on a barbecue for some social uh, cohesion to, to, to establish some social cohesion. Why are we not going through scenarios? Why don't we don't trade and have team sessions together so that there's a full understanding of full cooperation? Right? You could say like, well, let's take, like, take the football market. Uh, now the, the, the World Championship are there. Messi is a great player. If you look at his CV, why would he train? Why would he go out in the field every day to keep up and running to make sure that he understands his team things? Why? He, he has his skills. But in the business life, this is what we show you. You know, this is your profile. We expect that you can deliver it. So where is the need development? Um, and in that way, I think if you use the metaphor of, uh, of sports, sports is creating an arena where development, individual and team development goes hand in hand with performance. They evaluate every time they go into the field after a game. They come back, they evaluate, they adjust the training to make sure that the next time they can have a kind of a, a scenario um, that they can manifest their performance. So coming back to, to teamwork, we work with warm data. For you as an expert, I would trigger you to, to help teams to understand each other and to make sure that developments, personal and team development goes hand in hand with performance. Thank you. Great. So this is actually something, if we come from the micro level, um, a microculture even is something that is happening on a very personal individual basis. And the microculture of you, Andre, and myself, and of Kurt, or Roman, or Susanne, it's an individual microculture that creates teams. So what you said, full cooperation by synchronization, by exchange, by doing team building, by getting each other known better. So that's something, if, if we just 
do not, um, uh, let's say, neglect TMA. That's something where TMA can help. But this is actually the task of leaders to do that. Um, Thomas asks, um, what are your thoughts and ideas how it would be possible to make this change faster? Well, you know, every of course, everything is in context, but let me try to explain this. In my own encounters with, with all the companies that I am experiencing and from the, the data that I that I guess from uh, from reading all the McKinsey reports and the Boston Consultancy, etc. You can see that most of the companies are based on the Ulrich model when it comes to HR. And they have Ulrich has created, a, I think, a very nice matrix on the people side and on the process side and on the long term and on the short term. So on the process side, on the short term, it's all about the administrative HR role. And that is now delivered by success factors and work days and, and these kind of tools. On the process side, on the long term, it's all about strategy. What is your HR strategy? How do you align your people with with the business objectives? And how do you work on employer branding, et cetera, et cetera? Now, this is, a, I think, a very important thing for the acceleration question. When you look at the people side from HR, on the long term, Ulrich is calling this the change agent. And on the short term of people, he's calling HR the people champion. And I think there is the flaw in this time. If you really want to accelerate, we have to have different management styles, different leadership styles, where the leader or the team leader, or the manager of a unit, or the leader of a business uh, line, they should be the people gen uh, champions, not the HR, because the HR doesn't have any knowledge about the context, the technical skill, or hardly any knowledge about the technical skill. What they should do, I think that every team deserves a team approach. HR should not be the employee champion, it should be the team champion. Helping the managers, team leaders to find each other. Because this is where talent management is supposed to take place in the work field, in the day-to-day -day practice. So if you want to accelerate, I think we are morally obligated as leaders to take that role and to become the employee champion. And not letting ourselves run by Excel sheets and the uh, internalized logic, logical mechanisms derived from the Industrial Revolution. We have to tap in as leaders, as employee champions to people. That will connect people. And I think there is where the acceleration is possible. So this is also about more responsibility on, on the leader's side. And this is what we very often see that this is not the left brain oriented um, typical management system that we see since generations, but there is happening a shift and this is actually what is necessary for the VUCA world. Um, and also people who are very much left brain oriented, very structured, we can even um, detect that in, in the TMA profile. 
if they know that this is the case, they can definitely change and adapt to these requirements. They can definitely find a different form of leadership style in order to make these things, these changes, as Thomas asked, um, to make them better, quicker, by just um, having that mindset of let me be people champion, even if I'm more focused on processes so far. Yeah. If I, if I can add another another aspect to it, when you talk mm -hmm. about responsibility, um, when Europe was confronted with a Second World War and had to rebuild Europe again, you can actually say the policy of our governments were, was like, okay, we have a community, we have to build up things together, work hard, and we will take care of you in terms of pension and social security. And that is what you can see overall, in, in, particularly in Vera. Uh, as I refer to Holland, Holland decided, I think, two decades ago, okay, this kind of service mentality from the government is actually making the population a little bit longer. So we have to go to a society of participation. And that takes already two generations and people in companies and in Holland, if I refer to Holland, if something is happening, they're still looking up. What are you going to do for me, Mistel, instead of taking responsibility themselves? If I compare that to Denmark, for example, where I also live 10 years, that is a completely different old day. The level of participation in Denmark is extremely high compared to the rest of Europe. When you talk about women's position, children's rights, everything is there on a participatory level. And I think that is also important. We have to create that mindset with people by giving them the activity, giving them the stimuli to be much more self-determinated. Self-determination, I think, is an extremely important mechanism to go forward. Have a participatory way of working that will give people the right stimuli, give them the right activity, so that they can experience that things are can work in a different way. Thank you, definitely. So um, I hope that we still can answer all of the questions. That could be quite hard. I just mm, try to go through step by step. Andre, the next would actually be the one, the, the question from Regine. Um, Andre, what do you think will be the biggest challenge for TMA in the future? <laughs> well, well, Regina, that is a, that's a nice question. Um, and a challenging question. Uh, as I mentioned before, me and my colleagues, um, when we have a discussion together about our business, uh, about our profit and loss accounts, or, you know, it takes us two, three minutes. And then again, we see all kinds of, um, new possibilities for innovation, small development, small tweaks of our tools. And I think in general, um, to stay in sync with the needs of the market. Uh, will always be our biggest challenge, but also our biggest passion to go there. Um, this is what we are trying to accomplish. Um, 
And on a technical level, um, I think it's well, that it's not only for us, but I think for most of the um, of the um, elements of life, it is connectivity. Um, as I said before, and, and I'm really an adept of, uh, of Nora Beats, uh, everything is related to each other. And if you look at nature, everything is changing by a little disruption of a small element. Uh, think about our ocean. When I in, in the Caribbean, I, I do love diving. And a couple of years ago, the lionfish got imported in that area. And that changes the ecological system on the corals so much, it's a big threat. And of course, there will be a, coming a new natural habitat. And being capable of seeing those kind of elements up front and respond to that, I think that is the biggest channel that we have. I am not, I'm not afraid that TMA will not have this force this driving force that we will try to develop and innovate as much as we can. But seeing the things coming and being adaptive to that, I think that is a general a, uh, a challenge that we all uh, are encountering. Is it, I know that it's a very abstract uh, answer, Regina. Um, well, I, I do know that we are very open-minded and we love the feedback of, uh, of our clients and our partners because this is where we think it's such a source for for innovation um but i i cannot formulate a better answer than making sure that you can respond uh adapt to the needs of the markets i think that is the biggest challenge that we have mm. This is actually leading us to the question that Paul has. Thank you, Paul, for that, because um, it makes perfectly sense in the um, complete ecosystem of TMA. Where do you see the biggest challenge nowadays in move towards this ecological evolution? Uh, I don't want to sound too, too much as an idealist. Um, but I think what the world is um, is facing now is the division of wealth, which is unfair. If you see what happened uh, during the pandemic, the richer got even more rich. The poorer got more poor. If you see now what the world, the Ukraine uh, war is uh, causing when it comes to the winter, for people that they they want, <laughs> this is the funny, funny, funny thing. Uh, when the pandemic was there, everybody was happy to work at home, or a lot of people were. Now it's almost seen they want to go back to the office so they don't have to pay the heating in the house. Um, so I, coming back to that, what is, what is the biggest threat? I think it's the, the vision of wealth and, and well-being. Uh, the rich are becoming richer. Uh, there's so much greed coming on uh, the whole financial system. If you think about this, uh, companies like Microsoft or, or Apple, they buy another company for, let's say, 60 billion euros. They have the amount on the, on the, on the bank, but they're taking a loan from the government or from the financial institutions 
for an interest rate of uh, point or zero zero five percent a year, and it's full, the, and then the the billions are deductible from the taxes, so they have the money. The government, the financial market is pressing the money. They have all the benefits, and what you see with the people who are working hard to pay their mortgage, they're getting more and more poor. You see, that's declining, and. I think the greed is the biggest threat in our world. If you look at the, at the climate change uh, conference now in Egypt, the outcome is so disappointing. Why? Because the captains of the industry want to maintain their industries. Um, and I think that, you know, if we, as human beings, um, reduce our consumerism um, and I can see that in the new generations that is actually this is where my hope lies for the new generations it's not about possession but it's about accessibility they want to have access to things they don't want to possess things anymore and I think this is hopefully how the world will change and will be, deal with the greed I know that's a very idealistic answer, but no, it's not. I, th I think that that this is ex actually, if we go into the generation C or the, the developments that we see in the younger generation up to the age of twenty five, which is representing generation C, then this is something that is that is coming up much more into cooperation, collaboration, sensitivity on um, topics, um, and this is something actually coming back to TMA again the collaboration, communication aspect, understanding each other better, synchronizing yeah. better with each other. Yeah. This is something to say technically how we can deal with this VUCA environment. And um, and Paul asked that uh, that question. The, the ecological evolution um, needs to be supported by organizations. Otherwise, it will not work. And we as trainers, we as coaches, we have a voice in that and we have an influence if we go into organizations and support leadership style that go into that direction of cooperation and collaboration. I'm 100% convinced yeah. of that. Yeah. And when you think about the human, the human strength by being empathic, being intuitive, you know, daring on your intuition, uh, being creative, those are the elements that we should really unleash. Thank you for that. I just you know, I just disappeared, Andre. Just looking for the <laughs> next question, which is um, from Wolfgang. Um, Wolfgang asked, "I'm sure you have met hundreds of leaders so far." Yep, this is definitely true for Andre. Um, what was the most inspiring characteristic they had in common? That's a good question. Out of your perspective, the most inspiring characteristic that leaders have in common that you met? Um, intention. The intention uh, of doing well, of doing good, for, being good for their people. Um, but the harsh reality, the harsh reality of shareholders' values of restriction by protocol procedures, by system. Um, I hardly meet leaders who are not interested in the well-being of their people. 
Um, but then the competitive edge that they should show display um, to give you to give you just an example from the military again. I know that when you're becoming an officer um, up to the rank of major lieutenant colonel, um, you're all comrades. You're all on the same level, and there's a huge amount of people that we need. But then you have to go to the what they call uh, a higher higher schooling to become to have the opportunity to become a, a general. And there it when it becomes toxic, because the only way to get up is to be better than the other, to um, make sure that you choose your files, your dossiers that are successful and not fail. And bringing actually hoping that others will pick up a a um, something in their portfolio that will fail because if others fails you will rise and I think that is still actually present in a lot of uh, in a lot of organizations um, where you need your network and to make sure that you are not failing and I think that that is the biggest issue that creates a competitive toxic environment for leaders to become to be the leaders that they actually intentionally want to be this is something i can 100 support that very i just had that conversation um yesterday with one of of you guys uh, one of the participants here that so many leaders i would not say are corrupted but yes i would say by the system and they know that there needs to be another form of leadership, but very often at from a specific point, as you mentioned that, Andre, they are shifting. And this is strange to see out of different reasons, sometimes out of pure fear, um, sometimes out of political um, reasons and motivations. And this should actually not happen anymore. So. We will see. But also, do not do not underestimate Andreas, if I may add that, because of the fixed paradigm that people have. You know, when you grow up in such an environment, this becomes your reality. This becomes your truth, and it becomes something like you do unconsciously. Right? I see all my fellow leaders very harsh and maybe a little bit extreme example. All the leaders are shouting to the people. Then I can, then I have to shout too. It's a normal human mechanism. We are we are adapting to the social environment and to stand out for that and say like and ask yourself the question: Stop. Is this really fitting me? And I think this cognitive dissonance. This is not what I want, but I do it. Or uh, I want to do it, but I ref but I'm I'm not executing it. This cognitive dissonance is also because of the paradigms that we are living in. Definitely. So as coaches, so as coaches and trainers, I think it's very important to help people to lower their mind cards and to open up their paradigms again. True. This is directly exactly the leading to the next question, which um which Johanna asks. Um she asks, mindset is one thing. Um, isn't trust the second pillar to create this environment? Uh, yeah, I would I would say, Ohana, without trust, nothing goes. 
if you don't trust your partner, if you don't trust your coworkers, if you don't trust that you can address a topic or if you cannot trust that your feedback is appreciated as something productive and positive, it doesn't go. For me, you know, this psychological safety, this trust, this trustworthy relationship, if, if that is not 100% there, then people will shy away from really showing what they really mean, what their, what their real intentions are. I mean, even in, in, you know, in your family life with, with my kids, you know, I have daughters now of 12 and 14 years old, hormones start to play and they try to loosen the band with, with the parents, right? In, in, in a very nice way, hopefully. But there are some points where they don't trust you anymore. To give you an example, my girlfriend is the principal of the school where my kids go to. And once my girlfriend made a mistake in using their feedback to address it to the teacher and it looked back to them. From that moment on, there was really a problem with trust. And she got it full blown back in her face again. So you can, for me, that is also a signal like how sensitive people are if they are not trusted. And if there's no trustworthy relationship. So yes, Joanna, for me, it's not the second. For me, it's the premises. This leads us to um, the question of Thomas, which is comment and question in the same. Um, I'm just skipping the comments because I would um, just recommend you guys read the comments that uh, that your colleagues are writing into the chat. So just skipping the comments and just go into the, the questions. And um, Thomas asks a question combined with a comment. I think if there would be a way to get the business leaders look on the long term and not to be targeted driven short term, um, it could start. And our kids are key elements too. My kids teaching me every day. What can TMA contribute to that from short term to long term? Uh, of course we can say like, you know, what is your strategy for the long term and how can we help you with competence management and with the data in order to see that your workforce is aligned and how to stay up and running. That is from a, what I would call technical point of view. Yes. When it comes from a practical point of view, an operational point of view, um, maybe I should refer to a, a keynote of Simon Sinek and he says like, you know, just think about a car, a car and we're having passengers on board. We're all in the same car and we want to go to a certain kind of destination. Is it then that we have to drive from A to B? Because there might be a roadblock where you have to take a detour. There might be a mechanical problem where you have to stop. And yes, of course, you need fuel. And he says, like, maybe fuel should be considered as money. Do we have enough money to make it work? People are not in the car for the fuel. People are in the car to go for the destiny. And what is the course? And what 
Simon Sinek says, like the why, the purpose, what are we, where are we trying to go for? That is what unites the people. That is well what will bring them together. And on a technical part, yes, we can do that to make sure that you know you can analyze uh, the data, you can uh, clarify to people, you know, what is your role in the car? Are you the navigator, are you the driver, or you take care of logistics, or you are the financial? We are all in a community, uh, and we have to be sure that we are very clear in where we want to go. The course should not be linear. We should not expect that. And we should take it day by day. I don't have a glass bowl to look at the future and say, like, you know, where does TMA stand for? Uh, and where, the, the, where, what kind of position do we have? Do we have a revenue stream of 50 million or 60 or 100? It's not about the money. Um, we are driven by our purpose. Um, we make a promise to ourselves and the promise to our markets. And we're trying to be as adaptive as we can to make sure that we stay on track and that we sometimes have to take a detour or take a pause. Yes, absolutely. Super. So I just go into the next, into the next question. Um, maybe quickly what, um, what Thomas added, can you please tell us three most inspiring books? <laughs> so very practical, your three most inspiring books that you can recommend us. I just write it down here. Um, just as a literature tip books from Andre. I would say Rutger Brechtman, Humanity, a new uh, human history. The latest work of uh, Nora Beetson, Simon Sinek, The Wise, I think, inspiring. Uh, and then when it comes to organizations, ah, maybe this one is even better. Well, not better, but from a different angle. Um, it is uh, Frederic Laloux, Reinventing Organizations. And Frederic Laloux is talking about the different kinds of organizations from the command and control to the command and project to the sense and response to the holocracy and also to the teal organizations. Uh, building it up from a very, you know, command and control is, is very hierarchical and the teal organization is about um, very self-determinated teams working together. Um, thank you very much. Perfect. Yeah. So, um, to fill the last couple of, of minutes, um, I just um, do it very democratically step-by-step. Step. Nina asks in contribution, Thomas question, how to tackle the generational challenge in an organization, um, differing values, communication styles, sense of entitlement, etc. Um, yes, what a, what a topic. So the generational challenges, um, how, and I would say you can TMA help. No, I would not. How can we tackle that? As Nina asks, <laughs> um, you know, I'm 60 years old and my, uh, my wingman is, uh, sitting next to you, Abdullah, is <laughs> definitely for our different generation and the amount of exchange we have in learning. It is phenomenal. It is really phenomenal. So, you know, if you look at the 
let's say, the established generations, um, the idealist, uh, the cynical generation, the optimistic generation, the realistic, uh, the characteristics of the of the uh, millenniums, the realistic part. If you think about this whole concept, do we need people with idealistic approaches? That would be great. Do we need people who are always asked the question and be more cynical and skeptical? That is a good added value. Uh, do we need the opportunities to say, like, we see an opportunity and we go for it? That would be great. A constellation of the three of them. And then if you have the new generation, the realistic part, people, wow, isn't that a great configuration? And then when the new generations comes in, like, and I don't know exactly what are characterizing them, but you know what I just said, like, they don't need possession, but they need sensibility. I think bringing those generations together on a high level, I think that is fantastic if that can work. Uh, so we should not say like, because you are like this and that, we cannot cooperate. It's still about, you know, getting together having an open ear to each other, having a fair hearing in your process. I think that is uh, how it can work. And again, and this may sound maybe a little bit too overwhelming or too pushy, but it starts with personal leadership. Knowing how to take, knowing how to connect with other people is the most important part. And embracing the different generations in your organization uh, is brilliant if you're capable of doing that. But then it should be there on all levels. On all levels. If you just have one or two characteristics in your board, you're out. And that is also a funny thing, and I think you know this, Andreas, because I am 60 years old. Do I then have exactly the characteristics of my generation? Or did I pick up something more? Did I, am I, <laughs> well, I'm a little bit late to baby boomer, eh? <laughs> from 62. <laughs> oh, I'm coming around, no. around that. <laughs> around, around that. <laughs> but, you know, having this open mindset, you can also adapt the characteristics of other generations. It's not for nothing that they say, like, you know, the 50s of today are the 40s of tomorrow there so having a, a policy on generations great but make sure that they are collaborating on all levels or at least stepping in and abdallah can actually prove that because if he's delivering work to me uh sometimes i'm saying go ahead go ahead not knowing if it really brings something and sometimes i don't even understand him you know for me everything is still a little bit in a linear process we have to take step by step and i have to see the following line where abdallah the young guy is non-linear he's going lateral from a to b and the things he's picking up from the internet and all the content and the artificial intelligence I learned so much from him. 
it's it's something it's something about connection because i would say that i just did this little overview here a couple of um of weeks ago in a training and this is basically this was the outcome that the leadership task basically is to connect these generations bring them together and this is not only an internal um task but also for us as as coaches and trainers to create this platform of cooperation and collaboration by tools, techniques, by support, by clarity, by inspiring people. And um, from time to time also put the fingers very, very much into the wound so that it really hurts um, because very often organizations will not change in another way. Um, yeah. I would, that is I one, would, that is what yeah. I, I appreciate so much in your approach, Andreas. And I know that I'm putting you now a little bit on the spotlight. But your approach about the VUCA, and when you talk about the C, it's about collaboration. It's the C from uh, connecting. It is the C from communication. Uh, and I think that that is what we need for leaders. That is what we can ask leaders. Well, use your human skills in that. Because you have. Yeah. I would love to address one final question. Um, because this is a technical question and i think that this would be important to just understand a couple of your um of your inspirational topics that you mentioned andre um stefan asks um what do you mean by um mind guards what exactly is this and then after that um answer to that question i would um leave you into the lunch break altogether yeah so <laughs> mind guards you mentioned that um expression quite often so what do you mean by that um we have a kind of picture around of the world the context we are living in and having this understanding this is what i call the paradigm this is how i understand my world and when something is disrupting my picture of this world, I am reluctant to open up for that. One of the reasons, for example, that change management is always building up some anxiety and some reluctance because it's changing the safety of people. Because you have to let go of something that was safe for you. And this is what I call the mind guard. So there is actually in your brain a kind of a, a process that says like, when you're told that your reality can be seen in a different way so that it can help you to go forwards. People say, yeah, I'm fine. But it, to bring it into practice, they have to let go of something. And that is what we call the mind guards. Something is holding back in doing what you cognitionally actually understand. I just draw a little picture for that and that will lead us into, into the lunch break, guys, which is this, the very much famous table of Paul Watzlawick, who said that in reality, reality is not really real, which is um, the, the principle of Pippi Longstocking. Um, Andre, you know this um, yeah, yeah. Swedish um, character. And um, she said, I just create the world like I want to have it. Ich mache mir die Welt so wie sie mir gefällt, das Pippi Langstumpf-Prinzip. And the idea, Andre, I can switch in German. Is that fine? Well, yeah, yeah absolutely. Super, super. Um, 
du hast das Thema Mindguard auch mit der praktisch mit dieser Einschränkung von bestimmten Denkebenen beschrieben und das führt mich direkt auch in den Nachmittag heute, wenn wir uns TMA nochmal in der Vertiefung auch von dem, von dem Selbstverständnis her anschauen. Ähm, das hier ist für mich das beste Beispiel für das Schaffen von eigenen Realitäten. Der Paul Watzlawick hat das so wunderbar formuliert mit diesem Bild des Tisches. Um diesen Tisch sitzen vier Personen und auf dem Tisch steht eine Karaffe mit Wasser und ein Glas. Der, der hier rüber schaut, aus seiner Perspektive, der sagt also ganz eindeutig, steht die Karaffe auf der rechten Seite und das Glas steht links. Und darüber brauchen wir nicht zu diskutieren, weil da gibt es keine Diskussion. Karaffe rechts, Glas links. Er sitzt hier und sagt, Moment, ähm, also ganz eindeutig steht die Karaffe links und das Glas steht rechts. Ähm, was für einen Blödsinn redest du mal wieder? Ich kenne das jeden Tag mit dir, diese Diskussionen zu führen, unerträglich. Und der sagt, also meine Lieben, nur um da mal zu intervenieren, das Glas steht vor der Karaffe, das möchte ich nur. Und in Wirklichkeit seid ihr blind, habt Tomaten auf den Augen und habt überhaupt keine Ahnung von der Welt. Und der, der hier sitzt, sagt, also ich muss mal in Corona-Zeiten anmerken, es wäre ganz gut, wenn wir ein Glas hätten. Ich sehe nämlich nur die Karaffe und wir können nicht alle aus der Karaffe trinken, sonst wären wir alle krank. Die Frage ist, wer hat Recht? Also in Wirklichkeit ist die Wirklichkeit nicht wirklich wirklich, und das ist für mich so ein, ein wunderbares Prinzip, auch von Mindguards, dass ich mir einfach die Welt so schaffe, wie ich aus, natürlich, das wisst ihr alle als, als Profis, wie ich erzogen wurde, wie meine Werte, meine Überzeugungen, meine Normen funktionieren. Und wir werden uns das heute Nachmittag mal gemeinsam anschauen in Form dieses berühmten TMA Eisbergmodells. Das nur so als kleiner Teaser für den, für den Nachmittag. Ähm, lieber André, tausend Dank, dass du heute hier warst bei uns und schade, dass wir jetzt uns nicht noch zwei, drei bis sieben Stunden Zeit nehmen können, sonst würde der Zoom-Call auch nicht mehr aufzeichnen, wie die Denise schon festgestellt hat, ähm, die restlichen Fragen noch zu beantworten. Ich sehe gerade hier mit Entsetzen 15 neue Nachrichten, also ganz viele Fragen noch und Kommentare. Ähm, sorry, dass ich dir an der Stelle jetzt ähm, im Sinne der biologischen Ver- und Entsorgung abbreche. André, vielen herzlichen Dank. Ganz herzliche Grüße nach Portugal, ähm, wo du Danke. einen Tag noch genießen wirst. Ein, ein Winken an dich. Vielen Dank. Und ich glaube, es war sehr, sehr inspirierend. Auch sehr schön, dass du bei uns heute dabei warst und dir die Zeit auch genommen hast. Alles Liebe. Es war, war ein Vergnügen. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. ciao.